Does medical gaslighting exist in the veterinary profession? This week, we want to talk about what happens if you dismiss what a client says their pet's symptoms are. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And medical gaslighting is a term that is popping up more frequently in the human medical field. Many times, patients go in and feel that their doctor ignores their symptoms, dismisses them outright, and they don't receive the medical care that they need. This week, we want to ask, does this exist in veterinary medicine? Before we talk about all this existentialism, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. You know, Becky, in general terms, medical gaslighting is used when a patient, a human patient, goes to their doctor and they say, I have these symptoms. And the doctor says, no, you don't. You're fine. Or they say, oh, it's all in your head. Right. And and I think that's kind of where I want to start today's conversation. Becky, how do you define medical gaslighting, at least in terms of, of like what we see in human medicine? Oh, yeah, that it's so that one's a tricky one because when we first approached this topic, I was like, ooh, yeah, when you say gaslighting, um, that it kind of punches you in the gut because it to me is taking someone's symptoms, their conversation, their thoughts, their feelings, and you sort of use them against them. But I think in the medical terms, it's I don't believe you and I don't think they exist and I'm going to not only not think they exist, but create the idea that it's in your head instead of accountability where we would say, I can't find the cause of this. I know you're saying this exists. I can't find it. I, I believe you. I believe it's happening to you. But I have to help you try to find somebody who can because I have done everything I know to do to find out what's wrong with you and I can't. And that's a whole different conversation than it doesn't exist. There's nothing wrong. You may want to have your head checked. And that's where especially women in in the human side, um, to me, that's sort of the definition and what we see in terms of medical gaslighting. Right. And again, viewfinders, just so you know, there are definitions of this out there and most of them are sort of like this. And I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, it's it's when a physician or a medical professional, they dismiss or downplay what uh, the patient is saying their physical symptoms are. And they say, no, it's something else. Typically, as Becky alluded to, a psychological condition. Right. And that's where this gets really tricky. And when we apply that to, to vet medicine, Becky, you know, I think that and look, I've, I've said this in innumerable lectures over the years is that, you know, we really need to pay attention to what our clients are telling us. They know the pet patient better than us. And so when they say something's not right, you pay attention and you explore it deeply, right? So I do think there's a version of this that can occur with our clients. I mean, does, am I making some sense there, at least from a clinical perspective? Oh, yeah. I can remember... Um... My one of my instructors, Miss Tina, in in tech school, years ago, just said she just said you always believe the client, no matter what they're telling you, and if it does not align with what your eyes see, they're telling you the truth. So, if they tell you that their dog is lethargic and it is bouncing off the walls, it is still lethargic. Like you 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 believe them and you keep in your mind and in your heart that that is the truth and that that's what you're investigating and. I think we have a tendency to do that in vet med. I think the problem is 
we don't love to say we don't know. And so when it gets to the point where we don't know, I think that's kind of where I think we have a hard time saying, I, I think we have a hard time saying, I don't know. So we try right. to find other things to say. Exactly. And, and you know, one of the ways I used to illustrate it, Becky, in my lectures is I would say when a client would come in and they would say, my dog is limping or my cat is having difficulty breathing or whatever. And I'm looking at a clinically normal patient, at least in that exact moment. I would always tell my doctors and myself, I would remind myself constantly that they are sick until proven healthy. Right? You know, so, so because that person is saying there's something going on, I'm going to believe them. Right. Yeah. And so I think that it's really, you know, it's easy to, and I think that it's born out of, and, and maybe this even originates or, or is foundational for the human side, but at least in my perspective and experience, Becky, a lot of times we're trying to, to soothe and comfort that person and trying to allay their fears, right? So we're trying to do this by saying, no, no, it's it, there's nothing wrong here, right? Because like you said, we haven't found something explicitly wrong. And so I think sometimes our intent and, and quote unquote heart is in the right place. But the reality is if you dismiss people's, you know, complaints, then they start to A, question themselves and B, they're probably going to question you. Well, so I think that's where the gaslighting part comes in yeah, is where yeah. you start to make the client feel like it's on them. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're making this up. You know, when we were talking, <laughs> when we were talking about this before we started recording, I told you, I, I've had my very own veterinarian say, Becky, stop giving your dogs cancer. Um, and that's <laughs> right. always my anxiety and my worst case scenario instead of, you know, it's just a little skin infection. It's it's epithelial lymphoma, um, which is a big jump. And so that's fair. But I think it's I, so I can remember working in, in an ER shift and having a lady come in with her little um, like Shih tzu -y dog and saying her stomach was blue it was like it was blue and like like cyanotic kind of blue okay. and it wasn't <laughs> like it looked so normal to me and it was so hard because she was so convinced and I was like you know we can run all the tests you want you know I I want to say that this looks normal to me um but again you're saying it's not normal but I don't see blue or or the purple that you see and it was just such a it was just one of these conversations that all these years later still stands out in my head because she was so convinced and I didn't want to discredit what she said. But truly, I was in my head like, I wonder if she took like some kind of drugs. I wonder if she's, well, you know, in my head, I was really thinking this is on her. Right. And Becky, even here, just just viewfinders, just to point out something that, that you might not have considered when Becky was given this example the perception of color varies between individuals. I mean, there've yeah. been several studies. And again, you know, we talk about color blindness, but actually your ability to perceive hues of colors, right? The the different, you know, frequencies there are, are determined by, you know, you could have an injury to your eye. You could have had a high fever as a child. I mean, you could have just changes in your rods and cones that, that dictate how you see things. So, you know, Becky, getting back to that whole thing of, you know, are, who's right here? Well, both parties could have been right. But what we're trying to explore is, is there an underlying physiological abnormality, a medical condition that's causing this? And, you know, Becky, one of the things, too, that that over the years, especially as I've kind of confronted this in pet obesity, because you know, there's a lot of implicit bias that goes there. It, it really does restrict uh, both human and I would argue veterinary access to care and, and even diagnosing obesity. I think it's a big barrier, those biases that we, we carry. But, you know, you also have, there are these biases that are gender related. And you mentioned something about females earlier, but in the context of even pediatrics, there's a, several studies that have shown that when a quote unquote worried mom comes in with a child, 
the pediatrician is more likely to dismiss some of those concerns as opposed to a worried dad. You get where I'm going at this, Becky. I mean, this is a multi, multifactorial, incredibly complex issue. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And I think, I wonder if we have implicit breed bias, Sure, of course. <laughs> you know, we do. like right. you have, you just have this tiny dog that you're, you know, you, if you have a little chihuahua you carry and it comes in, in your purse, um, you know, and it's wearing a little sweater and you're hysterical because it's acting some kind of way. Am I going to think to myself, you're a hysterical pet parent because of how your pet presents, you know? Um, I absolutely think that we he, we take it beyond gender into breed combined with the, <laughs> the client gender to where we do sort of kind of read our clients to make a decision about how um where where this the context of this is coming from. Yeah, it is a fascinating topic, but I think I want to come back now, Becky, just to this this first part of the the discussion because again, we've kind of talked a little bit about the definition and whether or not it applies to our practice or is it just a human domain because you know we're not saying the people are crazy or whatever. Um, so I, I think let's go back to how do we address without in in a civil respectful fashion without dismissing symptoms that like we just aren't seeing so you mentioned this 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 skin coloration issue on the stomach it, the lady said the client said it was blue and you're like it looks pretty normal to me but again becky let's um, i want to get your perspective then i'll give you mine so the dog or cat comes in the client is complaining about a physical symptom that is not apparent during the exam. How do you handle that? Well, honestly, I think this happens a lot in our, you know, they will bring a pet in because it's limping. Now it's not doing it. They'll bring it in because it won't stop vomiting. Then it sits in the waiting room of the ER for two hours and never vomits. Like, I actually think we deal with this a lot. I've seen a lot of embarrassed clients come into the ER who were like, I swear to you. I've, I've, I've had dogs oh, yeah. who were quote unquote choking that had a stick stuck in their mouth. You know what I mean? So right. I think we actually deal with this a lot. And so I think we are very empathetic and say, Hey, you know, a lot of times adrenaline overrides the pain. It's yep. in their nature to try to mask pain because they're in a vulnerable state. So this probably is happening. I think we're in a lucky time where we get to lean into technology and say, yes. capture this when it happens, take a video so that we can see it happening. Um, just take that couple seconds. And so if they're limping at home, let's take some video of that limping. If they're having reverse sneeze is a great example, right? I have seen tons of emergency reverse sneezes and they're like, they were choking. They couldn't right. breathe. And then even an apneustic pet from reverse sneezing who passes out and they're like, he had a seizure. I know he had a seizure. And you're like, hey, he fainted and tried to get his feet back under him. Right. I think that happens a lot. Um, we're at the benefit of people not really they they really trust us because they 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 look at this symptom and they correlate it to what they know in human medicine and and so we get to do a lot of explaining as to why it is or isn't it but i think we also get these clients who have more ongoing things that you're sort of trying to chase down um and you guys can't align symptoms and signs with any kind of diagnostics i think we're better at it in the veterinary profession than we are in the human profession, for sure. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think too often when, like you mentioned at the outset, Becky, if a human, in particular, when a human physician just doesn't know, they tend to blame it on your psyche. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a real easy thing to say, hey, all your tests are normal, must be in your head. And, and I, I don't, 
I don't think we do that exactly in vet medicine, but I think we do a, a thing of it. The first thing I would say, Becky, you know, and, and, and as I used to teach my vets and certainly as I've lectured, so some of you have heard this before, but the first thing is to always accept whatever they are saying as their truth. And I think that's that really is harder to do than you might think, right? So now this lady is saying, my dog's tummy is blue and Becky's going, it looks pink to me. And so you've got you've to gotta somehow say, you know what, I believe you and there may be times when it is, but right now, let's talk about where we are at present and then let's try to back back up you know and figure out maybe there's something happening at home maybe there's a an episode where uh you know the the dog is cold and we're having vasoconstriction you know, I, I don't know becky right you know i'm just trying to brainstorm here on on the spot but i'm gonna say always accept it as their truth right and yes. then start to say okay now right now as you can see and and then get some agreement right so right now how does it look to you does it look blue to you now is the dog limping is the cat have difficulty breathing or does it seem alert and aware right so so try to get some kind of agreement on the current state i think that's really important and again not dismissing that something might be going on and might have happened at another time another place but that right now let's agree on you know the first thing so so um so right now when you're looking at your t- the, the dog's tummy how does it look to you now well it looks normal normal now, but that's not how it was earlier. Right. Okay. That's good. I just want to try to get a basis for what normal might be. Right. You see what I'm getting at, Becky, because now we're, we're gaining. In that moment, she actually believed it was purple too. And that's where I was like, I really don't know what to do here. But you're, I mean, right. I think you're exactly right is tell me how it looks now compared to what it was. Give me some kind of scale. Um, and then the other thing I tend to do with, you know, I say, and, and again, I have a different, um, I guess I almost want to say, disposition or position in that I don't have to do the diagnosing. I'm the technician, right? Like, and so, but in terms of say our, our techs that do some um, telehealth and are doing teletriage or the techs who are in triage and they're trying to help this client get to a, um, an understanding or to create some context for the, the situation. A lot of times I'll just say, here are the things that could possibly cause that. And here are the ways we would test for it. What sounds good to you? Like, we're going to start with yeah. blood work. To, absolutely. Let's start with an EKG and some blood gases. Um, That's what this would look like. That's what this would cost. Do you want to go for it? You know, and if they're that concerned, then let's chase down anything that we think could possibly create these symptoms, whether we see them or not. And that's a privilege we have in veterinary medicine, because in human medicine, they have to get things approved by insurance. They have to go through certain processes. And so maybe they say, like, look, the best way to figure this out would be to do an MRI, but I can't. I have to instead treat you with, you know, medication for two weeks and then send you to physical therapy and then we can do an MRI. And so I think it's harder for them. I think it's easier that for them to dismiss it almost like a, boy, this will be a lot of paperwork kind of thing. Right. And again, I think for me, the, the, overarching principle that I'm trying to share with you guys is that you don't discount, you don't dismiss, that you're not uh, in any way trying to be condescending. Because, you know, again, it's very easy. The dog walks in, This it was scheduled for non-weight-bearing limping on the right rear leg, and it comes running into your clinic, bouncing around, right? And, yeah. and there's so many reasons why that, act, that dog could actually have a 
cruciate ligament tear, and it's able to override that for a, a wide variety of mechanisms would allow that dog to overcome that pain in a, in a short period of time and actually look or demonstrate normal physicality. So, you know, again, I'm going to always say to you, hey, you know, right now, obviously, you know, he looks like he's doing okay. He's not showing as much pain or whatever the situation uh, dictates. But look, there may be something I'm missing and there are tests that we can perform. But I think too often, Becky, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> he certainly has made a miraculous recovery. Look at him. He's bouncing around. I don't think we need to do anything. That's where I think we run the risk of, of being dismissive and, and really, you know, kind of, I don't know, it, it, it's disrespectful. I, I guess yeah, I think the say. dismissive nature is it. I, it affects the trust. Now, I want to put a spin on this and ask you a question because I've seen this before. What happens when this person is an employee and right. you have that employee who is constantly concerned about their pet? There's always this, oh my gosh, she did this thing this morning. Um, everything's an emergency. Um and the, the pet is constantly being brought into the clinic and kind of disrupting your day to day or this tech, this staff member is known for being a little, um, hyper vigilant. Right. Hey, I'll go you one better because viewfinders, I think this is a, a much bigger issue. And Becky, you just read my mind as always. But what about when a, uh, the boss, the head vet, whomever, the head tech dismisses other employees for actually wanting to explore these concerns and say, you know, say, the dog's not limping. Why are you guys doing x-rays, right? I mean, so there's also that component that's going on. But getting back to your original question, which I think, you know, we've certainly seen is, again, getting back, acknowledging that, hey, you know, you may be seeing something. And again, viewfinders and, and Becky, I want to be clear. I mean, there are there are medical conditions that are mental health conditions rather in people that would would lead them to perhaps fabricate or, or fantasize these types of things, right? So, I mean, there, there are medical conditions that, that are aside from this. We're talking about normal, you know, at least clinically normal people otherwise, uh, whatever that means <laughs> these days. Um, but uh, for me, I'm going to always entertain that. I'm going to, you know, also try to, um, you know, get to why, you know, the, the why of why, you know, wh what is it that is worrying you, you know? And, and a lot of times this is just fear of, of being an inadequate pet parent, fear of losing a pet, you know? No fear of, of somehow failing the pet. And so maybe we can start to work with that person and say, you're actually an exceptionally good care, caregiver and that, you know, we're, we're here to help you, but, you know, obviously this could be excessive. And I don't have a great answer because I think it's dependent on each situation, but I think that, again, you do not want to be dismissive of employees and you don't want to be dismissive of employees who are actually listening to clients and then pursuing, you know, diagnostics as appropriate. I hope, hopefully that gave a little bit of context there, Becky, but I think that you're right. I think we're more I think we're more likely to dismiss each other than maybe even a client. 100%. I think we're, uh, it's a lot easier, I think, to be empathetic with clients and then to kind of shut each other out and to say those things like, oh, you're such a oh, hysterical gosh, yeah, parent or, oh, you know, right. you've always got that dog in here for something or another, you know, right. to where we're, we are dismissive and we are kind of harsh to each other about that. And then it becomes that crying wolf thing to where then all of a sudden something really is wrong and you're afraid to talk about it, bring it up, say something, or be quote unquote that person. But I also think we see this a lot. And I think we see it, I hate to say this, um, I don't want it in any kind of discrediting way, but I see this in my teams where we have people come on board with less medical experience. Um, 
maybe they're um, in the it, new in the kennel, or maybe they're um, you know a newer ass, uh, assistant, and they're learning, so they get kind of just enough to be dangerous, and right. so then they become kind of the neighborhood go to, or right, you know right. early student years. I know I was like collecting animals, and then had no idea what was going on with them. So um, I think there we kind of go through this point in veterinary medicine to be just knowledgeable enough to be dangerous and have access to care and it can become complicated. So anyway, I think that's an interesting um, ability, an interesting thought or, or process for us to stop and take that pause and see if we're treating each other with the same values we would treat our clients. Yeah. And Becky, this just once again reinforces my belief that sarcasm in the the treatment area, the professional you know environment is really risky, right? Because, you know, like it's very easy to be sarcastic, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. looks like we got another cancer patient, patient here, Becky, you know, you got to stop giving your pets pa- cancer, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, it's sarcastic. It's, yeah. it's meant to sort of bring a little bit of levity, but there's such a punch there that, you know, I, I think you got to be careful. And that's just well, one of the things that, you know, I learned a long time ago. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting because what you said previously was absolutely right. Is it's it's talking about an underlying cause. It's it's I'm afraid right. I'm going to miss something right. because I'm too close and also mentally preparing myself for the worst, right? Like is I'm like let's just go straight to cancer because anything less than that is better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So you're I mean, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it is this and it, we I I think a lot of people you know, kind of roll their eyes or whatever. We have this generation of folks who are more anxious and who are more academically prepared. They've done some research. And so, yeah, maybe they look some things up and it's like, hey, it could be anything from ringworm to epithelial lymphoma. And now they know this whole spectrum. We have a tendency to prepare ourselves for the worst. And I think that that is an important part of this is part of that empathy is addressing that underlying cause. Like, I know this is your best friend and you are really worried anything could happen to them. And I know how devastating that would be. I really appreciate how you're trying to stay in front of the health. If I had a hundred pet parents like you, my job would be so much easier. It's a whole different statement, you know, then there's really nothing wrong. And I think this is just, you're afraid of losing your best friend, (laughs) you know, which is is the underlying cause. I mean, I've been saying since the internet since we we got, you know, really decent browsers, the fact that you need to thank people and 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 be grateful that people are doing research and coming in. And and again, when that client comes in, it is so tempting when they go, well, listen, I've just discovered that this thing could have, you know, Hashimoto's. And you're you're like, it's so easy to go, oh no, 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 no. You've been on the internet, haven't you? Nope, no, yeah. not Hashimoto. Right. And and that dismissiveness, that's really where this whole thing originates because now the clients go going, wait, am I nuts for thinking this? Wait, I did all this research. There's That's all this stuff. right. And that is, I think, what is that underlying gaslighting of saying, you put in time, you put in effort, you're displaying knowledge and you're wrong. And that's not fair. you know. And my doctor, I love him. He's great. And I go in and I say, here are the things I've decided it could be. And he like chuckles and he's like, all right, list them off for me, Beck. And I'm right. like, you know, it's it's liver cancer. It's, um, you know, again, always the worst. And then he's like, right. okay, here are the reasons I don't think it's the things you think it is. Here's why it could be the things you think it is. And here's what we're going to do to find out. And he's yep. so validating and so lovely about right. it. And he knows I'm kidding. I don't really think I have liver cancer. But it's that conversation of I've done some research. I've come in with some knowledge. I agree with you. Um, We should come from a place of gratitude like this. Like, thank you for doing your research because you know what? I'm only 
only one brain and you could be absolutely right. Before this, I was talking to you and I'm totally going to plug it is the Mr. Ballin's medical mystery podcast. Um, I think, I think vet med folks will especially really love this podcast. Um, in, it, it was, it, 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 in a lot of these cases, the doctors tell, blow people off when they've done the research and they're saying, Hey, I think I could have this multiple times the doctors say it's not that. Additionally, I was with um a con- I was at a Alabama Tech Association conference this past weekend and um met a girl who had the um alpha gal protein and the meat red meat allergy and she said it took 6 years for her to get diagnosed. You yeah. know, and and that's the kind of thing that we see where and and we had that exact conversation. I said they they made you think you were crazy, didn't you? And she said, "Oh, absolutely." You know, it was in my head. There was no there was they didn't know and so they didn't even take into consideration it could be that they just didn't know. Right. And, and I'll be honest with you, viewfinders. I think that, you know, I was having this conversation with a human medical colleague of, a couple of months back. And this this is where AI is actually going to benefit patient care because, you know, like we only can carry oh, so many point. potentials and, you know, options and, and rule outs in our head at one time. We're not, we're not all house. I wish we were. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the reality is we can now have a, a third party, if you will, a, a, a virtual assistant that can help, we, you know, kind of put all these things together. Because I think often what happens to Becky is the client, whether it's a, in human or vet medicine, they're giving out such disparate, discordant symptoms, you know, nothing matches up, right? This is one of the things why I used to love that show, House, back in the day, because, you know, they would put these pieces that didn't seem to be connected at first, and then at the end of the, the one-hour episode, you know, it's like, oh, and this, 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 that's why, and everybody's like, that's obvious. But, you know, we can't do that, like House on TV. Uh, sometimes we can, and sometimes we have, but the reality is by, you know, taking something and, and putting, well, what are the 52 rule outs for yeah. this and what are the 102 and then where do they match you know where where do they sync up i think that's really where ai is going to help it's us it's a data mining brain right yeah, so yeah, it, right. it is literally going to always hold more data than your brain possibly could and it's going to process it in nanoseconds compared to what you could possibly process it like you're absolutely right what an interesting point would have benefit right to having access to all of that information and technology is going, you know, to do that for us anyway, as we have the ability to symptom share, as we have the ability to to reach out to other people who have experiences with just a few keywords. Um, and well, and honestly, you know, I think the other thing is, is if, as hard as it is to say, I don't know, imagine how much harder it is to say, I totally missed that. So, you know, I think it's better to take that out and take that pause and say, I don't know. You know, I serve on the Collaborative Care Coalition right now, and this is a group of people who promote specialty, set, you know, refer, send them out, say, I don't know, somebody else might, but I don't want to dismiss your thoughts. I think it's such an important forefront conversation. Well, I'll tell you what's worse than what you just described is the fact that you say that's not it, and then you're proven wrong by a colleague, and you might have a lawsuit on your hands. That's so, right. You know. Well, <laughs> so well that's... and not just even a lawsuit, fine, but like social media is right. way worse, right? You have insurance yeah. against a lawsuit. What you don't have is, you know, the ability to erase social media when somebody goes out there and says, they missed it. I told them, and they missed it. Yeah. And again, it, totally promoting this podcast, I you can tell I've been traveling lately. Um, 
is is that happened a lot of these examples and when you see like the monsters inside me show there are so many medical mystery shows where you see where people brought up what they thought it was and they were told that's not it um and then to later here, yeah, it absolutely is. Well, it's validating, but also how frustrating to say, I was sick for six more months or I almost died or did die. And I told you what this was. And and one final little word of caution, even though now we've spelled out this entire case for all these rare conditions and misses and AI assistance and so forth. But common things being common, you do want to focus on the common diagnoses, right? So, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that, you know, when you hear hoofbeats, you think horses, not zebras, uh, because I, th- I think that, you know, that that can also get lost in this conversation, Becky, is sometimes we start to then go, oh my gosh, it could be this very rare tropical disorder. And it very well may be, but, you know, I still think that for the practice of medicine, really, you know, hone in, know, know what you need to know, uh, and then be open-minded and listen, yeah. and then don't be afraid. Have the courage to explore other possibilities. I think that's where where people, again, where medical gaslighting shuts down or begins, really shuts down that patient relationship, is whenever the veterinarian dismisses it because they, they've made a judgment. They have said, I, I believe it is this, and they are not able to be open-minded to another possibility, right? And that's that kind of thinking just doesn't benefit anybody, Becky. No, it really doesn't. And, you know, closed mindedness, it's, you know, it's like when you think about true crime, you know, you can't decide who the culprit is and then make the evidence fit that. And I think that is, I almost think we have a benefit in our profession because our patients don't speak and we are used to to going with diagnostics. Um, And we do have a tendency to lean into clients. But if we don't, I think the, the threat to lose trust and therefore lose face with them. I think we just need to be aware of how casual we can be about things that are very concerning to our clients and how quickly and unintentionally we can be dismissive of them. Gosh, I love this conversation so much. Viewfinders, what do you think about medical gaslighting? Does it exist in the veterinary profession? If so, how can we combat it? And how can we we be more embracing of what our clients are telling us and listen and take them seriously and be empathetic and not dismissive and discount and discredit them while we're at it? Becky, how can they tell us their ideas on veterinary medical gaslighting you guys can share your ideas with us on facebook and instagram or you can send us an email over at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com that's right guys we really want to hear your thoughts on this important conversation until next week stay safe we will talk to you then bye bye turned out awesome I was with I was with this girl at Hive. Uh, she was at one of my talks, and she's like, "I love your podcast." I, and she's like, "It's so funny because like that's your voice." <laughs> Just like she's like hearing your voice come out of your face is fascinating to her because she's only ever heard me as a voice, and she's like, "That's really what you sound like." I was like, "Yeah, that's my voice." <laughs>